Righto, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast in your ears, known as Dirt Bags. It's a lovely Thursday afternoon, six o'clock. This podcast just coming out, so make sure you keep that in the back of your mind as uh, time to tune in. But as always, I'm your host, Josh Curran, here with my co-host, Danny Curran. DC, what's going on in your world this week? Oh, mate, I don't know what is going on in my world. There's always a bit to do, but we've always got fantastic guests on, Josh. You know, it's another Thursday. It's another beautiful day. And I tell you what, we got Mikey Zacker. None other than, well, what do we want to say about Mikey Zacker? He's got racing lineage. He owns the best shock shop in Australia. He does a range of work and he races all sorts of vehicles as well. Mike, I can still remember when you came out with that super wild class seven that had King Kongs on it, Jackaroo, it was as wild as it gets. But I mean, again, your father's raced and Zoom's raced. I mean, you've got heritage and race vehicles, you know, out the yin-yang, haven't you? Oh, thank, thank, thanks for that. Um, <clears throat> yeah, look, it's, it's, all <laughs> kind, it's all I kind of ever known. I I wasn't very good at ball sports. Um, and hey, you, had run, you, had, you had to run too much in tennis. And I wasn't mm. old enough to get a, a golf cart when I played golf with my grandpa. And I, I guess I... You know, my gra- like you said, granddad raced and dad raced, so I was pretty keen on it straight up. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Hey, Mikey, well, that's an interesting one. So, again, a lot of the off-road racers will understand your history, but let's go back to the very start. Tell us about how Zoom got involved because let's even go a bit further back. It wasn't always just off-road racing with Zoom, was it? He had through his hand a little bit of everything. Uh, Gundawindi local? Yeah, so he was born and bred Gundy, I think. Um I think he, his dad was too, I'm pretty sure. So he was just a bloke from the bush. Um, their family had a dealership, a car dealership, and I, I think he just made a habit of um, taking cars from the yard and just thrashing them. And, I, yeah, I think one thing led to another and he just ended up racing from his whole life pretty much as soon as he was old enough to make the decision and pay for it and make it happen. It was, it was on and that's where it started, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Now that was a uh, that was bitumen racing to start off with, or did he go with off road? Look, I'm pretty sure it was bitumen to start with. I um I can't I can't give you the exact timeline. Um, there was there was tarmac circuit. Um, there was you know there was rally. Um, you had to go at the safaris and then off road. You know I think he had a big part in the, the original Gemini series and starting that. I think he was in the first two or three seasons, won a few championships and. Yeah, just pretty much drive every anything. He was happy driving a tractor, lawnmower, but as long as it was as fast as it would go. So, as long as he yeah. could hold it flat, he was in. Yeah, yeah, for yep. sure. And then for obviously sure. that led to him racing factory in the off road in class. It was eight in those days, wasn't it? Even yeah. though it's probably what we think of more about a bit more class seventy, but uh, yeah, class eight rodeo was he where, like was his real big claim to fame, wasn't it? Yeah, so I think the Rodeos was what well, he, he raced a number of different cars, but I think the Rodeo, rodeo as he would be shooting me from from heaven, just calling it a Rodeo, the Rodeo, it was, um, yes, yeah. not American, he used to say to me, it's a Rodeo. Um, and, and anyway, um, he 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 did he did do most of his, I guess, winning in the Rodeo. Um, he was pretty consistent. He was fast. I'm sure he crashed a lot too. He probably left a lot of those stories out when I was younger about how many trees he hit or how many times he went over. But um, yeah, he, he, he raced, um, I'd say, 
late 70s through to the late 80s or mid 80s, had a bit of a breather. And then um, my dad jumped in and started doing some buggy stuff. And then I think him and actually Jeff McNiven from JSW Power Sports, he was, he was involved in working at my dad's uh, workshop as an apprentice uh, down at Springwood there when I was a little boy. And I think in about 94, they, they built another car. And um, I actually have that car now as a daily. I, I got it back, but they built that. And that was his last off-road car. It was the first off-road car I ever, ever went in, actually, as well. Wow, so, that's an amazing story. That's very cool. Yeah, and you yeah. now daily drive it. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I ripped the tyre off the rim the other night. But, um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, um, it's, it's pretty much to work and back every day, yeah. Brilliant. That's awesome. So then let's hit the um, the buggy scene because then you guys became highly competitive at the top level of the sport, which was the pro buggy. Um, it was actually running a one back in those days, wasn't it? Like, a, was so was that because it was a pro light? Nah, so pro light wasn't a thing. So back in the day, it was class one through to nine, and it was like there was so if you take pro light out of the equation, class one was pro buggy, yep. class two was sixteen fifty, as the number would indicate and so on and class nine was a pro buggy single seater so right. yeah so th they were pro cars like his first his first two um class one buggies they were six cylinders the first he bought peter glover's um uh, i don't even know what it might have been a cobra or a hornet or something frame i don't know but it had a red hot porsche motor in it so he bought that uh raced it a couple of times and then and then he uh, went over the states and bought that that bought that car behind me yes um, that was the the wilson's it was a race car started life as a beam front end and a, a 10 16 50 car uh, i'm pretty sure it won the thousand um and mikey stapleton cut the front end off it and him and i think between him and lance king who was at custer at the time designed it and yeah it was one of the first like arm cars to have big success as a buggy i think overseas that's amazing. And that car's back overseas now after doing a long stint in Australia and it's just been raced at Nora. How cool is that in the thousand mile? Yeah. And it looks like it did the day that like it left the States the first time, which I thought was, was awesome. It does. It looks so beautiful. The guys from Wilson have just done an amazing job with it, which then leads us onto a few other things because then you guys went down, you actually ended up with a Jimco car after that with a Cosworth in it. Is that right, Mikey? Yeah, so I think it was um, in about 97. I, so Paul and Dion Simpson had these wild single-seat Jimcos. I'm pretty sure they came in just before my old man's one did. Um, they were these four-litre Toyota things, and they were just insane, man. They were so yes. cool. Um, and then so he bought a car off. I'm pretty sure it was Doug Fortin. It was either Jolson or Fortin. I don't know. I just remember as a kid it had Fox Shocks, all down the side of it when it turned yes. up in the garage and um yeah so it it, it came with no engine um and then they put an sr20 turbo in it um i think i just had problems trying to yep. run too much power through it i don't really remember i was pretty young i was just there for the glory of yeah well in know, the night in the 90s the sr would have been a very early development motor like it was pretty fresh from nissan back then you know there wouldn't have been a lot of parts because Am I on the right track? You ended up going down the Cosworth path and it had some, am I on the right? It had some Dick Johnson parts on it. Yeah. So they, they ended up with the RS 500 red top Sierra motors and they had, a, I think they had two or three engines. There was a couple of Johnson motors and a Longhurst engine. Wow. Um, yep. 
And um, yeah, it did make some big numbers. I couldn't, I can't quote them accurately, so I won't. Yes. Um, but they were definitely north of 600. Like, and this is when I was 10 years old out of a, in, a, a cast iron block, four cylinder, you know, like it's pretty yep. wild. And in the, uh, in the 90s, again, if we've got lots of new listeners, Mikey, like an A-arm car with 600 horsepower was the creme yep. de la creme. Like that was an amazing piece of technology in those days. Like it truly was game changing. Yeah, look, it was so fast. But to be to be fair um, to my old man and their team, you know, they didn't finish a lot of races, but they were pushing so much horsepower and they were blowing up gearboxes just mm. – and, and, and which also I believe if I'm – and, you know, anyone can correct me if, it, if I'm wrong, but I believe that led to the development of the Albans box because I think the first or second Albans box ended up in the car – um, and then that was the end of the gearbox problems, you know, like uh, except for a yes. Porsche linkage at the back, it was mid-engine and it used to get stuck in gear. It was the only Porsche part left on it. But, um, yes. yeah, yeah. So, it, look, they were, they had big horsepower. It was super fast. Like I went for a ride out at – it was Rob McKenzie's farm. He doesn't own it anymore out of part of the Gundawindi track. But we had a run out there. I think I was 12 years old. And on the GPS, so that would have been 02. We're talking, you know – 238 kilometers an hour and i don't think there's many cars out there that are that fast now my old man said it had more in it i i was shaking for about two days after it but i was hooked i, I just wanted to do it again and again yeah that's a, a truly amazing car for the era because again it was sort of a time frame where um with those a-arms and that you know like there was such a a giant technological leap. And as you mentioned, which is interesting because it's a great point, is that it was at the time where gearboxes and suspension and arms and, and hubs and everything were trying to catch up, weren't they? Because essentially you you had the 600 horsepower plus, but you needed all the bits behind it to make it work as well. So that truly was an amazing car. And there's great footage, as Josh has shown on YouTube, there is quite a bit of it available, including at Gunder Windy and different pieces and pieces. And I think this yeah. is Fink. I think this yeah, is the, the, this is yep. some Fink footage. Yep. Yeah. This is. I think this is the first, the first and only time he went to Fink. He had some problems oh. in prologue. I think they were second or third. Oh three, and um, yeah, it was. Um, I didn't get to go to that race, but yes. um, I heard some pretty good stories. It was just one of those ones. I'd probably been naughty, kicked out of school or something. So, <laughs> yep, it happens. Yeah. But then after that, so you guys actually had, because it is a small world, you guys actually had Josh's Jimco, the uh, the 41, uh, for a short period of time there as well. Obviously, you guys were planning on racing that. Was that a Zaka car for? I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm too young to know the ins and the outs of Zoom and right. Brad's business, man. Like, right. I just, like I said, I was... I've seen all the cars come and go. Yep. Um, you know, yes. And I remember, the, I think the first time I met Paul Wheel, we had two stadium trucks down at my granddad's house at Kingston and him yes. and his dad come down there and uh, he would have been 15 or 16. He probably wouldn't remember me. I was just a little kid in the bloody, in the side of the side of the yard in awe watching what was going on. But a lot of, my granddad was a wheeler and dealer, man. So there was, you know, yep. there was probably cars that came and gone that I had no idea about or didn't well, remember. Well, you, we'll have to talk to Brad at some point, but I believe at some point, essentially in transit, your your uh, granddad and Brad actually owned both the Wilson Jimcos that are in Australia at the moment because that was going to get me to. Then you made the step. You obviously did Class 7 and a bit of other stuff, and then you've moved into a, cyber, a, a ridiculously fast Can-Am, actually a long one, which is interesting because 
the, the long Can-Ams never really took off in Australia, did they? Not a lot of people racing them. Look, I'll be honest with you, it is certainly not fast. It was like carrying around a dead weight on your back. Like, it was slow. I struggled in it. Like, I had to drive the wheels off it to get it anywhere in a short course, you know? Like, and, and, and because of the wheelbase, and they're quite narrow too, I didn't extend the track. But right. because of the because of the wheelbase, um, they just wanted kind of like a limousine, you know. You imagine trying to tip it into a corner, and the thing just doesn't want to play. Yes. And um, but it it was a little bit slow. Like we we tried to because I bought an older car. We tried to I guess upgrade the turbo package when they bought out the 2020 model, and I couldn't. I just never could get it right. And it was it it was a lot slower, I guess, from zero to 120. It still did the same top speed. So when we got going, like at Fink and Gundy and yep. stuff, and I could just hold the thing as fast as it would go, we, we could get some good times. But, like, it was a bit frustrating at short course, like coming second and third and stuff and and at Cruiser Park there a few years ago. It was, it was yep. just difficult, I guess, on yes. the old um, – when you because, you know, you want to win. But Oh, Absolutely. But I, I chose that car purely based on I specialise in suspension um, and I wanted to have the best handling side by side um, in terms of how fast it can go over the holes. And I, I, I kind of thought stuff that will just do the, we'll just, we'll just sacrifice a bit of short course speed. I don't really like short course. You know, if COVID didn't happen, I probably wouldn't have raced as many short courses. It's never really been my passion. Um, but it just turned out the way it did. So we raced what we could race and we had a few cracks at Gundy and we had a we had a we had one run at Fink, which was we had a disaster run to Fink, but we, we had a a dream run other than the traffic on the way home. So it was it was good. A lot of fun. Yeah, brilliant. Well, out of interest then, Mikey, because I'm I'm definitely interested because one of the things that always fascinates me is even though that they're uh, let, let's say they're a lighter vehicle as a race car, but they're amazing because you guys are running, uh, are they a three or a three, five coil carry? Like that's a big shock absorber on that all way round. Yeah. So on the front, um, they're two, five uh, internal bypass, the King shocks. Like they come with a factory Fox 2.5. Right. They've got a slightly smaller piston just as due to the design of the shock. But um, the King's a monotube two, five IBP and the rears are, a 3.0 IBP. Yep. That's like, amazing. They are big, hey, they are yeah, I say that with respect to like not so long ago, if you had two and a half and three O's in your pro buggy, that was a mm. wild shock. And now, you know, these factory side-by-sides are coming out. And then once you upgrade, like you can really, man, oh, well, Josh and I have had to eat our words because, you know, we were the biggest, uh, I don't want to say haters, but we were the biggest ones paying them out back in the day, you know, 2013, 14, 15, when we were racing, they were rolling roadblocks in the old XP 900 days. But yeah. nowadays, like they get up on top of the Bonduma whoops and you, what well, you're the best man to ask. What are you doing? Are you doing 110, 120 kilometers an hour through the Bonduma whoops? Honestly, I, I never looked at the speedo. Um, yep. But I think I checked my split times and through the rough section of the track, I think we were 13th or 14th fastest car outright from kind of Bandumba to Redinga. Like there was only one real section of whoops this year. And 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 the car was as fast as it would go where it could go. Like I, I really tried, I got it, I didn't look at it, like the speed and we, we kind of felt comfortable and it literally went over everything. Like we had one or two wild moments coming over some dunes just because the road went the other direction. But yep. um, 
I, it blew my dad away too. Like I tried to tell him how fast these Can-Ams go over the holes. I'm like, man, they're, they're insane. Like it, not just Can-Ams, side-by-sides, but yep. like they, they just – it's you can go down to your jet ski dealer, literally spend 45 grand – Go throw a set of shocks on it, or even if you don't want to put shocks on it, go go see your local UTV specialist or shop guy and upgrade the factory shocks. And you can go out and you can run across those whoops at a hundred, probably 125 or 30 is probably more the speed in, in, in if there's no dust and, and you can see where you're going. Um, but they're kind of maxed out. Yeah, that that, that four C yep. is kind of maxed out through there. Yep, you're yeah, basically holding it flat. Yeah, like I think we did a two oh four on the way home. We had to we had Which to overtake the, we had to ta- we had to overtake a lot of cars. Like we got we got stuck a few times. Um which is a part of it. We had a shit day on the first run. So, you know, you 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 raced the hand you dealt and we were dealt the you know, we had a bad run. So we had to start a long way back. But mm. in hindsight, it was awesome because I got to have a you know, a all for nothing run doesn't matter just drive hard have fun and see what happens and it didn't even matter if we didn't make it back we we're just going to drive it till the car stopped running yeah and yeah yep. it was cool love it love it yeah well mm-hmm. what about- i were only talking about the other day we said we think like the uh the development that's happened in side by sides is awesome because there's that um there's that factory sort of sponsorship behind it like there's there's two or three companies or, or mainly two big players but can-am and polaris that are sort of going head to head and it's cool we're talking about the the new polaris that's coming out that's a that's going to be the new pro r and we're saying it's a bit of a it's going to be a bit of a weapon and it's going to be interesting to see the the um the if the pendulum swings back to towards polaris at the moment because it seems like it's Mm. if you want to win you got to be in a can am and um and and it's going to be interesting to see if it comes back to polaris and i'm sure you guys at uh at mike shock shop have probably got something planned already for these new polarises Oh, look, I, I'd love to say yes. Um, just with everything that's going on in the world, we're still a little bit away from sorting out the two-litre one. We have a we have a package for the turbo, but we just the factory haven't got their hands on a two-litre one and they just want to package it right before they offer it all in terms of that. But, yep. look, the Polaris, man, from everything I've seen, it looks insane. Um, you know, I spoke to the host uh, the guest you had last week simon evans i spoke to him a few weeks ago just on some parts and i asked him and he, he said that it was real animal i also spoke mm-hmm. to dave mendham and uh, alex mendham from dubbo city power sports down their motorcycle shop down in dubbo ktm polaris dealers they um they said same thing just said it's a real animal and i think if you watched the best in the desert the other day with old mitch guthrie like it's obviously mm-hmm. a machine you know yeah yeah. Yep. Oh, it's running as fast as any 10 car or any other car at the moment. It's, it's pretty impressive for sure. It's all in the four-wheel drive, man. Once they sorted out yep. the geometry and the reliability, like four-wheel drive is just so good. Like I don't even want to drive one because my bank's never going to be able to afford a real four-wheel drive. So I, I, it's just like I think it would just be, you know, going to the drive through to smell the food. It's just not. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I hear you, mate. I definitely hear you. Rob. Yeah. Well, hey, listen, you talk a big game because I want to get into all the tech side with you, but let's finish up your progression with the car. It's not a secret. Everyone's seen the Instagram post and that, mate. Tell us about this new car because Josh and I are absolutely, oh, mate, this car just makes us so excited. If I could buy any car anywhere, I reckon I'd be buying this one. And you've stolen it from under me, mate. I didn't have the money, so it's all yours. 
I'm glad it came oh, to Australia. To be honest, mate, I had to work night and day, weekend to find the money. It's it's it was yep. they were really lovely, man. Like the Wilsons, a long time friends of my family, and you know, I, I don't even know if the car was for sale or what the score was, but I was ready for a car. Like Can Am's turned into checkbook racing. Um, I shouldn't say that and deter people, but like at the front end at national level, like the maintenance is getting up there and and to stay fast and to stay reliable. So it was like, you know, th- 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 this is, you know, it's time to do it. I've been working real hard trying to, you know, I didn't race for a lot of years. Like after the class seven, it took me five years to get back on the track outside of like Andrew Moles giving me a go and Jeff McNiven and like, I've had a few good opportunities outside of my own cars, but, um, you know, just it was time. And I, I priced up a few options. I wanted a Jackal. I wanted a Reese Millen Jackal, but yes, it wasn't that would have been cool. Yeah, I, I got a price, and I, it was definitely outside of my reality it, yes. at, the, at the moment and probably in the near distant future. Um, yep. And it also, you know, it's a new thing, and I didn't, I, I can't really afford to be the pioneer with all that technology, you know. Nor do yep. I really want to. Yes. And I, I talked to John Cooley from Alumacraft. You know, I, I, I always wanted a new car, and I kind of just floated the idea at my dad and said, "Hey, man, if, there's, if I was ever going to buy a second-hand car, I only buy it out of one shed because I know how well they're looked after." I said, yeah. can you ring Ronnie or Randy and ask them if they'd, you know, sell us the car, sell me the car? And, um, you know, I guess they came back to me and had a chat with Ronnie and they were stoked to to do it. And I was super stoked with the opportunity. Like like I said, I've been dreaming of this since, since you know, I was three years old, mate. Like literally. Oh, yeah. I, I, I have not thought about anything else really in my personal time except off-road racing. Yes. And, the fact that I'm actually going to get to have a, you know, a V8 Jimco and 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 at least you know put my money where my mouth is and have a go. I'm I'm, I'm super excited and I'm super grateful to the Wilsons for for, yep. for offering me the car. Um, and I, I can't wait. Hey, eh? I'm, I'm super stoked. So yeah, yeah. Well, one of the yep. one of the great things about that car that you're going to love is the fact that uh, it it roll it's going to roll off the the ship here in, in Australia and just be ready to rock and roll. Like, you know, you're going to be able to take that car anywhere. But I do believe you are talking about heading over to America to do a bit of racing with the car first before you bring it back to Australia. Yeah, well, look. well hold on. Sorry, Mikey, I'm cutting in here just for a second. Before uh-huh. we get too far ahead, uh-huh. well, I just, I, for all of us, me included, I want to know some specs of this car before we move on to your racing schedule. So it is an updated Jimco 2000. Is that is it still off the 2000 style A arms or? I can't tell you. Once again, I don't want to quote stuff that's not fact, so I don't. I yep. don't know. I, I, I can tell you this: it's a. It was a small run of cars made. Um, yes. A small run. Um, yeah. Concrete Motorsports had one. Kevin Thompson yep. had one. Um, yep. Bobby Lofton. Lofton. So Lofton's got one. So like yes. it was Justin one car. Um, yes. There was one, there's one in Australia, red one. I can't say his last name. I don't know the bloke, but it's Sam Gadelia or something. There, right. I've seen yes. it. I've seen it before. I've seen it before and it looks the same. I could be wrong about that, but I'm, I'm pretty confident. And yes. yeah, other than that, man, I think it was just a small batch. I think they're a bit lighter than the, you know, yes. when the Dominator came, you know, when the Dominator came out? Yep. And I, champions I think they were like a light, I think they were like a lightweight 
a lighter weight version of the Dom. They were in between the 2000 and the Dominator because it's bigger than a 2000. Yes. But it's 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 not as big as a champion, I don't think. Like, I don't think it's yep. as big as Bryce Chapman's car. It might be, but oh, I don't no, know. No, it makes sense that it'd be a little bit because it's on 37s. Correct. Yep. And it's Chev-based, like a Chev motor in it? Chev, seven litre. Um, I yep. think it's an, Adam Wick, it's an Adam Wick motor. So Wilson's have always yep. dealt with Adam Wick. Um, yes. It's got a Fortin 5 speed in it. Um, yes, sequential. Yep, yep, sequential. Yep. Um, I'm pretty sure, like, it's, it's got new shock. Like, when I say new, it's got, you know, pretty up-to-date shocks on it. It's got four and a half inch kings on it with fins and yes. fair few tubes. And on the front, it's got some development shocks that are still on the car. I'll, I'll probably re-shock the car and keep, you know, I can't not, if I hit a tree or something and bend a shock, I, I kind of need spares. I can't finish or, yep. not finish the race because of shockies, so... <laughs> yes, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I'll probably reshock yep. the car and and then just keep those ones as spares. Yep, brilliant. No, because it's it's always been such a beautiful car. It's it's such a like again. We probably should clarify for the guys not super familiar with Wilsons. They actually run two essentially identical cars. In the it's the one seventeen and the one fifty three. Is that the two numbers that Wilsons run? One thirty eight and one fifty three. They that's um, right. They're identical now. They, yep. they, they haven't been identical for a little while. So the closest I think they were to identical was when Josh's car and Bully's car were yep. were in the shed. And then yes. I think when Bully's or when Josh's car left, I think that's when the Herder car, the car that I'm, I'm taking ownership might have come in. And then, I, and then I think when Bully's car left, that was... Um, Oh, maybe that, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. There. Maybe they kept, uh, I don't know the answer to that. I think they had a single headlighted Jimco as well that stayed there and it's gone somewhere else. I don't know. I don't know about yep. that one. Yep. Yeah. Very interesting. But it's interesting yeah. that so many Wilson cars have come to Australia, isn't it? Like they're, they're a good build for Australia too because they do keep them lighter. Like they, they aren't the biggest thing, even though it's funny because now they've gone to the biggest Jimco, which is uh, yep. the Hammerhead. And on 40-inch tyres, two spares, like those things are a trophy truck buggy, aren't they? They're yeah. amazing. 100%. 100%. Yep. No, it's very cool. So, sorry, Josh, I'll let you get back to because I just wanted to get through the specs of the actual car because it's such a, again, I knew it was quite a unique car. It's, uh, again, Wilsons are always on the cutting edge. You mentioned there, like, they were the very first to have 4.0 shocks. They're the very first to have four and a halfs. They're the very first to have, like, you know, they've always been in development with Kings. Again, um, Stapleton, Mikey Stapleton, what a gun. Like, that guy just knows how to prep a, a Jimco to within an inch of its life. It's just perfection. And those guys, I mean, they've come off some really great seasons lately, haven't they? So they're doing really well. Yeah, yeah. Like the car won the thousand in nineteen. Ronnie Ronnie raced the mint there at the start of the year, and he, he comes second to the Wild Dean brothers. So you yes. know that's you know you, you, if they finish if they finish in class one now, good luck. Like yes, yeah. but um, but yeah, no, nah, he, he he run he run around, and it, like the commentators kept saying. That thing's as tight as it was when it was brand new, and it probably That's knows right. how to drive itself. So I, I, I probably got to be a bit careful and just learn it, and just learn to respect the car. It's a great car. I'm really excited, and I'm just going to take it in my stride and learn how to drive it, and then hopefully business goes well, and we can get a little bit of support and have a crack at the Aussie titles in the next couple of years. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. 
So Josh, yes. again, oh, this because I, I was going to say this does lead excellently onto racing because I'm I'm fascinated at a few things, like you said about updating the shocks. Are you going to like if you have a crack at the? Do you think that the V8 will do its job like for the Australian Championship? Oh look, the turbo cars. Like I don't want to bring up debate all the time. Like people just. Oh, I love it. I want. Yeah, I just look, chasing someone, Mikey, that says they're going to win in a V8. Oh man, I'm going to try my hardest. Like, but I'm yep. going to have to drive Good. it like a two-stroke. I'm going to. You're going to have to drive it like a two-stroke because those turbos. Like, I don't care what anyone says. I've been in them. I've been in these V8s. I've been in four cylinders. Like, even in the passenger seat with my customers or opportunities I've had to ride with people or drive their car. Like the turbos are so much faster, it's not funny. They're a bit different to drive. You've obviously got a, if you've got a big set of kahunas, like someone like Kai Floyd in the turbo, it'd be pretty scary, I reckon, because yep. if you could keep it on the pipe, like they're just unbelievable. You know, look at Rhodes and Robinson, and there's a reason they are that they're great drivers. Like they are, they yep. they are fantastic drivers, but there's a reason there's a 10 second gap on a 5K course between yep. them and other great drivers. And like, look, if I, I don't want to say that I need to change to a turbo, nor do I want to. I want to bring the V8 here. I want to race the V8 and I want to stick to a V8. And I'd like to think I don't need a turbocharger to win. But if it does turn out that I'm just flogging a dead horse and I might need to ring old Mismo and see if he's got a package for me. So Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Or or just put two turbos on the side of the seven litre. That'll fix it too. Booyah. Yeah, yeah. A true unlimited <laughs> class. A true. Fix a few but I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. right though, mate. We talk about like the difference between a V8 car and a, and a turbo car to drive. And I, I think a prime example of that is Ryan Taylor. Dude was hell fast in a, uh, in a V8 car. That's what he'd driven. That's what he'd known all his life. And then when the get come in and it was twin turbo and he switched over to it, um, he, he, he had to adjust. He, he struggled a little bit. I reckon like he, it just mm-hmm. didn't, react the way like when he he went to get on the gas for something rough like it took that extra quarter of a second or half a second to build Mm. boost and react but now that he's getting his head around how to drive these turbo cars and that tatum too like outstanding result for uh for ryan there but like like, i think you're 100 percent correct when you say they're a bit different to drive yeah 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 everyone even when harley was here and he raced to get at gundy i i I rode with him for a while when we were testing out at rob's and he made the exact same comment, like they just when you when you're looking to jump on the throttle to get over a set of holes or something you're not suspecting or you just want that power, he found that he really preferred the V8. And that was, you know, that I mean if you but I think if you drove a V like a turbo six for long enough and you got comfortable yes. with what it does and you get comfortable with how the car reacts under power and it, I, Man, I think if you take any fast driver and you give them enough laps in a car that's very mm. similar in terms of suspension setup at somewhere like the Think Prologue course, they're going to be five, six, yep. seven seconds quicker in the equivalent turbo car. Yeah, that's what I think. Yep. And, and you know what, no, Toby no. Price is a freak. Toby Price is a freak. He's he's an animal. Yep. Like, yeah. he, yeah. like you can't, you've got to take him out of the equation because it's like. Yep. No, that's like trying to fight Mike Tyson in a boxing ring. Like it's, yeah, it's yeah. that's that's where or, he. Or also on a uh, also on a chartered on a, on a commercial plane. airline. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that doesn't yeah. go well for anyone. It does not go. Yeah, so it's, I mate, think... you're you're 100 right about Toby. Like absolute freak. Like that that in cab footage of his prologue lap last year was just hmm. like it was perfection. Uh, perfection. That's the word. He knows, I'm he knows every millimeter yeah. of the road, and then every millimeter either side of the road. You know, yes. and it. 
It's just yep. I, I don't think you can get that being a car driver. Like to be honest, mm. like I yep. I reckon I could go up and down that feet track 150 times, and your awareness of where you are would never be the same as if you were a competitive motorbike rider. And I'm just not a yep. good enough motorbike rider to risk riding up and down that track yeah. that many times. <laughs> Wouldn't yeah, make it yeah. to think I'd be broken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd be yeah. looking for a six pack by the off road club, mate. <laughs> yes, yes. That far yeah. down? Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe ten years ago, eh, Joshy? Yeah. <laughs> we did uh, it ten years ago on bikes and oh. it was horrific. Not smart. Hey Mikey, so again, so getting back to Josh's question, I've enjoyed the sidetrack, but so you're gonna leave or I know it's just plans. I know we're not locking you into anything, but the thought process is depending on situation and that go over and have a couple of races in America, seen as the cars over there. Yeah. Look, I'd like to do at least one. Um, yep. I don't want to miss think next year. I definitely don't want to miss think next year. Just with all these four wheel drive trucks coming in, there's not much of a window. I think when the right man gets underneath one, um, yep. I know that like people might say I'm crazy, but they're just so you put an extra two wheels spinning, it's just insane. If you if you that's why the canams and side by sides are so fast, man. It's the front yep. diff. It's just yep. the front diff. And 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 the suspension, obviously working in, in symmetry with you know, fifteen years ago they couldn't get CVs and diffs to kind of have that wheel travel under those loads. So yep. it's like bring bringing that commercial kind of I think is gonna be the game changer. But um where were we? Back to the where we're going to race. race. Yes, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna race it in the states probably once if all goes to plan. I, I spoke to Ronnie the other day and indicated that I'd like to do it and if there was you know a way that um, they might be able to help me. So we're gonna we're gonna team up a meeting there very shortly and work out the details. But the plan is that the new California 300 race in Barstow is what I'd like to do in October. Yep. Brilliant. Um, we'll, obviously, we'll see they're prepping the car for me now um yep. you know if it's ready it's ready if it's not I, I, that, like i said they kind of they've been so fantastic that's just the way the cookie crumbles if i miss out i miss out I'm, it's not the end of the world no. um but yeah if the car's ready i'd like to go do that um and then if all's good with family and and, and business and and then if i can book a boat and and work out a way to get the car kind of turned around in the in that time i'd like to try and do parker or the mint early next year yep. but i'd say that's probably a long shot and the, yep. the, the goal is just that first race in october yep. and then organize a car uh, a boat to bring the car home yep perfect yeah because yeah. I, I guess so parker's january is that mint what march mid-march so yeah, mid-march starts getting i think it's the start of march this year i don't start. know the dates for next year but like i said yep. it's cutting it fine in the world we're in at the moment with logistics and stuff so yep. i probably don't want to probably won't roll that dice man unless things are changed dramatically in the terms yes. of shipping and, and and things like that yes there's an ob obvious solution to getting your car back yeah yep no perfect i mean uh, that's always been a dream of ours hasn't it josh like to have a race in america would just be the ultimate like the the terrain over there is so different i don't think that a lot of australian races have got their head around how different the track even our rough tracks compared to over there uh, again i don't want to say we don't have rough tracks heck we got gundy we got fink like there's rough tracks around but holy moly like the likes of the mint with those rocky ledges and that it's just a totally different game it's amazing yeah, to see like, those full sides yeah you look at the san felipe um san felipe qualifying i saw a video the other day of andy mcmillan coming over the rise there and like those holes are swallowing mason trucks. Like they're throwing yeah, mason man. trucks into places that they don't want to be. 
and it's like for, for that that's saying something because you know yeah. there's not one there's not much on some of these courses that are a full-size dialed in truck in australia can't really eat up and swallow whereas right. they're constantly being tested you know you see you see a six thousand pound trophy truck getting skyrocketed eight nine foot in the air in the nose like it yeah it's a whole nother i think it's a whole nother level in terms of how rough it is and you know keep graders off off-road tracks yeah perfect i like that definitely like yeah. that yeah yeah excellent oh well that'll be unreal I, I definitely like that hey mikey this leads us to another question because you know obviously so again you're a part of well you're the owner of mike shock shop not just a part of it obviously so we wanted to have a bit of a talk to you because obviously you see a lot of the the design and development like we were just talking about the four-wheel drive uh mason trucks which are amazing 40 inch tires you know massive suspension travel and all that type of thing but i wondered we might ask most of our guests, what do you see as the next big hitter in off-road? Like, uh, do you see like a tire development or, a, uh, you know, like a, a suspension? Like that's your forte. So is there some game-changing next level that's going to make a huge impact in off-road? Like you sort of almost mentioned it. Like, do you think that four-wheel drive is going to be the thing that if you don't have a four-wheel drive truck in the near future, it's going to be game over for those outright positions? Or what do you feel? Look, I think in Australia, I think first of all, if we're going to talk about like developments and whatever, I, I think before four wheel drive, I think like, I think we're going fast. You know what I mean? Like the guys in the States and in Australia, like the, the speed is fast. The, the, they're going across the holes fast. I think now it comes down to like packaging, like the like just everyone's chasing such minute gains. You know, the likes of, you look at the McMillans, they're like a key example. They're out testing all the time. So I think that, like, are we going to get way faster tomorrow? No. Nah. Not, not, not. Is everyone going to get quicker? Yes, because I think the technology is, like, example, um, like the difference between a non-setup side-by-side and setup side-by-side is 20 minutes down the Fink Road. Do you know what I mean? More. Yep. more. And, and I think yep. that... The biggest, especially in Australia, is like guys. They don't have time to test, man. We're we're all workers. We're all we're all working hard, trying to you know trying to do our family thing, and then have a bit of spare money to go and play on the weekends. And it's so taking that time out to go and test, 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 test. It's it's not a thing that is you know is is in the parameters for every racer in Australia. So I think that the technology that's coming and is available now, like in low, I guess, low volume and, and, and from more than one manufacturer in terms of suspension, it, it's going to make it easier for everybody to have a safe, fast car, you know? So it's like you go test your car, Fox have got the RAD, King have got EFM, um, and the live valve technology, it, it is pretty crazy and it is pretty impressive that it can all be done in cab. Like it's mm -hmm. um, it's kind of, it's not something that I thought was going to be, so quick you know like coming into shock yep. absorbers as a teenager i didn't think that i'd have to try and get savvy on um you know tech like i guess electronics yep um but essentially it's got to eat these systems have an ecu just like a car yep. and and they are just firing off information like crazy and and you know you can go from having enough compression and I, i'm talking about a road car right now the 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 race car stuff is a little bit further away for it being commercially available, but it is coming and, 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 it, and it will be available to the average punter, whether and neither what brand you have. Um, 
but like the cars can have that much, like an almost infinite, almost infinite um, adjustment in terms of like you got you got your main piston, but then you can bottom out your whole shocks with the press of a button. There's like King have got a thing they call it the the oh shit button. And it's a red yep. button on your steering wheel and it literally just locks everything on stiff in a, in a bad moment. So I yep. think that like people are going to be able to probably plug something into their car, grab the map off old mate who went testing it, think, go gunk. And I mean, if their pistons yep. are valved correctly, obviously, they yes. still have to get the work done. Yes. But I think a lot of the tuning will be done um, t- digitally. There'll be less turning of tubes, more more making adjustment on your phone screen and it doing it itself. Yep. So, yep. Yeah, wow. So does it does it work off potentiometers, Mike? Is that how it's like it or or, or we're getting a bit heavy on the tech at the second yeah, part? I'm, I'm not an engineer. I'm yep. not an engineer. Um, I'm just born and bred doing, yep. I guess, being around this stuff. So everything I've learned has yep. been based on the knowledge I've been given from these engineers and these guys who make it. And from what I understand – it's just got a bunch of different sensors like they are yep. like shooting off like i'm talking thousands and thousands of directions every millisecond and it's yep. reading it's reading ground speed throttle it's reading braking it's reading the load on the tires like it's reading absolutely everything and yep. it's 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 just much faster than any you know kind of like an auto transmission i guess from a manual yep. like you can bag them all you want but i don't want to own a manual anymore yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I not unless totally I'm racing. That. Not unless I'm racing a, a clapped out something from the eighties. Yes, yes. Yeah. No, I totally get it. That's amazing because I mean, obviously, uh, with the Ford Raptor Ranger coming out, the new model has all this live valve technology where you're spinning a dial and it's adjusting your suspension as it needs it. Like that's yeah. amazing technology. And like you said, once the manufacturers pick it up. Or everyone's going to go with it. It's going to become, uh, you know, a very common place. And, and that's a very interesting point that you make, like live valving. And I never even thought about the oh crap button. Like that's brilliant because, you know, Josh and I have had this chat. Like we like to uh, set up our car so it can take a big hit because we'd rather make it through the big hit and then live with the, uh, you know, the indifference for everything else. But that's interesting because now you can basically set it up and have that button on the dash for the, the big hit. That's the oh crap moment, hey? Yeah, I think it's really the big game changer for teams to be able to have the braking, have the turning, have the have the confidence that the car's going to go through the rough without misbehaving. And, like, um, yeah, it, it's definitely coming. It might be a while before teams start adopting it here, but there's teams using it in the US from both, you know, both Fox and King stables. It's being tested and... I know Andy's got it. I know Lauren Healy's got it. I know Levi Shirley's tested it for King. I know a few other people have used it for King, but um, yep. I don't know how long away it is, but it's definitely going to make things, I think, easier for everyone to go faster. Um, yes. I think other than that, man, I think other than a front diff um, and someone really reinventing the wheel, Yes. Or, you know, whether that be with the regulations or what what happens. I can't see us going too much faster over the holes that we're going over unless you start kind of making the cars bigger and widening the tracks. Yep. It's interesting, though, because it's fascinating that you talk about all those little percentages because I totally agree. Because um, I was watching Harley Lettner's video on, on Tubard or YouTuber, as he's called now. And um, it's amazing because I think even like a guy like him, looking at his pace in, say, 20... 
13, 14, 15 when he was alphaing and then, you know, moving up to the trucks and that and what he's done. Like that truck now is so on point. They're so dialed. They've got all the, like they're running, they're developing the five-speed Mason Matic now for the two-wheel drive truck and all that other stuff. And that all those little one percenters have actually added up to 10, 15% faster, hasn't it? And what has blown me away, I don't know if you've seen it, Mikey, that video on YouTube, is he is going through those San Felipe whoops, as all of them are. I know that the Masons are going through, you know, Andy McMillan and all the McMillan, all the McMillans are fast. But yeah, they're just going through so fast that if you had shown me that footage a couple of years ago, I wouldn't have thought it was possible because probably like one of the leaders, let's talk about like, you know, mid 2000s or, you know, 2010 was like a likes of Robbie Gordon. And when he was going over those San Felipe, you know, the, the big whoops down the power line there, it was quite skatey and sketchy, wasn't it? Like they were really holding onto it. I remember watching Rob Mack, you know, all those two wheel drive guys. And that again, at the time, they were class leading, winning, winning, winning. But it's interesting because now they've all got 2%, 2%, 2%. And that's led to, I mean, I'm only looking at the iMicrometer here, Mikey, but they appear to be a lot faster than they were 10 years ago, despite still being essentially a similar style two-wheel drive trophy truck. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I think it just comes down to like, you know, just constantly testing and finding gains all the time. Like I think, you know, I haven't spoke to Harley or anyone personally about this, but I think if you look at their program and you look at their truck and you can see that they're kind of developing everywhere. So whether or not they're kind of preparing for the next two or three seasons and and like everyone else, but there's a lot of development in, you know, suspension, bump stop technology, bump stops have changed a lot. There's a lot going on there at the moment. And um, I think the car, the truck, you know, they've got so much more power. Um mm. The, the, the trucks are probably, I don't know if they're bigger. I, I just think that people had a lot of time to test. They've had a, There's been a lot of thought, a lot of smart people over there in this industry. And I think it's just been everyone's grinding, 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 and it's got to the point that's resulted in there's a lot, a lot of fast cars that are settled and not they're mm. not on the edge. They're driving <clears throat> extreme speeds comfortably. and. Yep. And, and I think that will slowly happen here. And that probably comes back to what I was saying. <clears throat> Testing, more technology available becomes, you know, shared between stables and things like that. And, and it'll be the similar thing, you know. 15 years ago, there was nowhere near as many good handling cars over there. I think it's the commercialization of shock tuning and, and, and the technology and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Because the other thing that's interesting is, because uh, this brings us back to your Reese Millen statement or buying a Millen motorsport car, is that um, the other thing is you're, you're talking about the sharing of information, like these Herbs trucks and that, like those guys all work and develop together, don't they? And same deal with the Mason. Like if you go and developed your own four-wheel drive truck, you're basically building that from the ground up, doing your own testing, your own development, all that side of things. Whereas, you know, like if you join a program, like what you've done with, you know, you've gone down the gym car route with Wilson, you're already buying a sort of package. There's a lot to be said for that for the um, for the everyman racer, I guess. None of us are everyman racers. We all want to be winners. But I guess I really think that there's something to be said for a, a sort of developed package. Yeah, man. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think. Um, oh, I think that's the quickest way to go fast. You know, like it's yep. definitely the quickest way to go fast is to be comfortable. But yep. like I said, I think the the more and more people that get enthusiastic about the sport, the more and more I guess families that you know that have a disposable income that want to go and race and want to have a good time and they want to test. Like the 
like you go look at all the big, big, fast guys that are going to win on a weekend. They all test, even if it's mm. not a lot. They still test more than the, the blokes that are that are there, kind of on you know my capacity or 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 whatever it is. Like I didn't have time to test; I was working. You know, mm. I, I I tested on on each in each section. You know, we'd adjust everything every single stage of of each race, and yep. um, you know. I just think, yeah, sorting your car out, buying a sorted car or sorting your car out, they're the only options. And I think that's going forward. I think that's what's going to make everyone faster, but outright speed, like I said, unless you got a front diff and a lot of practice and a few do-re-me, I, I don't think the outright speed's going to get grossly faster very quick. I think it will well, be slow. I think, Yeah, I think one of the things that you probably bring up about testing as well is it's not just the time um required to go out and do the testing is there's, there's no point testing if you're not gonna treat it like race conditions and you're not gonna smack on your car as, as you can to, to make sure that your shocks are dialed in and, and tuned for that so it's also all work that had to go in in between there. like essentially what you have to do after testing like you've just been erased it yeah a hundred a hundred percent and it's like it's not just shocks like you know gearboxes tires you know it's literally yep. everything, yep. and and I, I think that you know it's hard to drive a car testing like you're gonna drive in a race because you kind of just get into a whole another world when you're racing and like it's um you know if I, I don't know I just yeah getting a sorted car is important and yeah. I think that, that, that that's just kind of yes. yeah that's it I guess it, we it's so much it's it's but it's just yeah shockies front diffs big tires big engines and then i think we're kind of capped like outside of putting wings on these things or making them wider i think michael taylor said something similar i listened to it. you asked him a similar question and it, it's just hard to kind of see how maybe electric maybe there'd be some game changer there I, I don't know maybe some alternate fuel or something that livens them up that we haven't seen but i can't i'm like no scientist no engineer i got no mm. idea Mm, no, I like that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Because, uh, yeah, with the development of it, because it is everything, isn't it? Like even, w interestingly, with we were talking about Harley before and the concrete and watching their great video on YouTube. Like they had the um, the issue at San Felipe, two alternators. Like, you know, when you're running a 450 horsepower LS, uh, uh, alternator is not even an issue. But when you've got a 9,500 RPM revving um, Joe Gibbs race, you know, small block, big block, big cube thing, like, it's amazing the things that you never probably think are going to fail. That's going to be a point that can take you out of a race, isn't it? So all that development. But I reckon, Mikey, this leads us to an awesome segue because I know something that you're passionate about is getting these beam cars back out of sheds and getting people racing in essentially a limited-type class because I think the, we've all had the conversation that great drivers, if we took a lot of these legends, and I'm talking legends like Shannon Wrench and, you know, Dave Fellows and all, all these big old school races that were truly leading the championships and, and all those game changers, they all came from an earlier beam car class. They all came from a limited class, you know, because it's, it's like riding one, two, five, two strokes. And then, you know, like all the guys that the first motorbike they've ever had is a 450 motocrosser. I hate to say it, they're generally junk because they get too lazy. They relax on the horsepower. They they don't have the corner speed. You know, they don't have all the things because they, they can get away with it on the big bike. Or in this case, the pro buggy or the trophy truck. Most of our truly talented drivers out of the sport 
for many, many years have come from, you know, go-karts or limited background, you know, that place that they've had the corner speed, they know how to read terrain. And, and Mikey, I saw a post that you put up on Facebook, and I tell you what, I was cheering for it, is that you're saying there's a ton of cars sitting in sheds out the back of places, and that why aren't we racing them? Why don't we make a truly competitive beam car class? Yeah, well, yeah, like I think um, – I just think it's an answer to a lot of problems. I think, you know, you know, people carry on about the cost of the sport, which is valid, um, and then, you know, you got other guys who are just throwing do-re-me at it because they want to win and just, like, investing and investing and investing, and there's a huge gap. So it's like I'm thinking to myself, what, where have the beam cars gone? They're not racing because there's no – Diff, like they're not in a different class. Like the engines are one thing, but you take a, a beam buggy, regardless of a few good drivers. Now, I know Dan Wells has done awesome in a beam car at Gundy, but mm. that's a Bunderson. You know, those some American beam cars can mang through the holes if they're set up right. Like they're, they're good. And that's a good car and he's a good driver. But in general, the, the difference in performance between a beam car to an A-arm or a J-arm car out of track like Fink, Don River, Gunder Windy, um, you know, anything rough, anything rough is going to be much more than an engine. And and I think the side-by-sides have proven that because they've got under 200 horsepower at the wheels. They've got the suspension travel of the big cars and they're a long way in front of a lot of cars with a lot more power than them at a lot of tracks. Yes. So I think that if the boys with beam cars had a place to race where they could still win a trophy, local events, short course events, if there was just like a, a beam, I don't know if it needs to be a beam limited and a beam unlimited because a lot of different motors out there or just go boom, throws all in the one category. Yep. Um, at least use a on par at these events or have an A and a B. Um, I just think it will bring a lot of good drivers, um, young drivers that may not be able to afford a side-by-side -side that can afford a 1650, um, you know, a 1990, 1650 or something, and their old man knows how to work on that gearbox and their old man knows how to rebuild that motor and there's no yep. computer in it, you know? So it's like, yes. um, mm. I, I think it would be very healthy for the lo like the local club level. I think it would be very healthy for state level. And they're like, just look at Nora. Look at Nora. Yep. Like, have a look at Nora. Look at the numbers at Class 12s at any event over there, it, it, especially the smaller events. It'll blow your mind. Class 5 Unlimited, 1600s, and they're here. They're, those, there is an abundance of those cars in sheds here that are out of date in safety, which which obviously needs to be reviewed. So, like, there needs to be obviously a vintage set of safety rules. And, look, I'm, it's not going to change my life if it comes or goes. I just think it yep. would be healthy for the sport. I would yeah. probably buy a beam car to race at the lower, I guess, the smaller events, club events. Um, yep. One, they're probably more fun around Land Cruiser Park than a big old sloppy desert car. Yes. Um, yeah. Two, cost half the price. Three, it's just a lot of fun. And I, yep. I, I think that it would bring a lot of enjoyment to a lot of people if they were racing for a trophy. It would get a lot of guys off couches in their shed and getting their cars running. I yeah. think. I could be wrong. No. I'm on no, my way I think off the engine, but I, no, I just never no, understood. 
Yeah, so Mikey, let's let's throw out a proposal here because you know you got a, got a little bit of a platform. I'll, I'll hang it out there. So what you're suggesting is maybe because obviously there's class three at the moment. We don't want to muck with that. There's some great competitors there, but that is limited to a 1300 cc motor, which is obviously killing most of the beam cars that we're talking about sitting in shed. So what we're talking about is maybe like say a 3.5 naturally aspirated and under as our limited beam class and then an open motor up to whatever the cams rules is at the time, you know, whether it be turboed or, or a V8 car or whatever in an unlimited beam class car, you could run it as, as 12 and 13 or something like that. I'd probably even split it only because I remember back in the day, I'd probably even split it at like two liter and under yes. because there's a lot of, like a lot of little beam cars that don't weigh a lot where you throw a, an SR 20 or a two liter naturally aspirated thing or, you know, a class, like a class 10 motor or a three litre six cylinder, they're super quick. You know, some That's of the pro, like, like back to what I said, that that race co behind me, it had a Porsche three and a half in it. Yes. But if it's three point, it might have been a 3.2. So that yes. would, you, you know, you, you can't. So I think that with the beam cars, you'd probably go like a little bit lower in the engine capacity for the limited. Yes. And then, yes. you know, if you've got two and a half litre and up, you're in the open class, just run what you brought yeah. and have fun. Yeah. Because, again, really, the horsepower there, because you're starting to talk about, you know, a V6 these days will make 350 pretty easily with a little tickle. So, yeah. you know, that's that's a car that's going to uh, outrun the beams pretty quick anyway. It's going to be a fast car. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. the thing. They're, they are fast, but the ruts are big. The, 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 it's different to what it used to be. There was no 40-inch. Yes. There was no 37s. There was no 35s. Tracks weren't degrading like the way they do now. So it's like beam cars hard work. Like it, yes. I raced, a, I had a race in a beam car at the twelve hour when I went out there with Molesy. I, I drove Molesy's Razorback and uh, a sixteen fifty beam car. Yes. Let me tell you, when I was driving Molesy's car, I was driving on fear of having to pay for crashing it. Yes. When I was driving, when I was driving this sixteen fifty, and I'm sorry to the owner at the time, Scotty Raymond. <laughs> <laughs> I was driving like a rental go-kart yeah. and the thing was so much fun. I don't think I've ever had yeah. that much fun in a race car. And yeah. and I just, I really think it would do good things for the sport. And it's, like I said, especially the local club levels, because I think that's who's suffering at the moment. Yeah. I really think the like, like Gimpy's a really sustainable single club. You know, they do, they do a lot. Um, and I know a lot of the Burdekin club and I know, look, I know Queensland's real healthy. Yes. But, I just think that around Australia, local clubs need a kind of reason to be great. I think beam racing will make local club racing great again, kind of thing, not to sound cliche. No, but yeah. you're right. It gives an outlet for a lot of those cars that are that are sitting in sheds at the moment. And like you said, like they might have a, a turbo SR20 on it, and that means mm. they get chucked in, pro, like yeah. in, in with pro buggies. So I, I think it opens up a door for them to be – competitive in their own in their own little category and probably what you'll see like you said you'll see cars coming out of the woodworks again and people getting involved because they've got a category to race amongst themselves and and like you said it's probably not a bad thing for people to dip their toe in the water you might have someone that goes i don't know a lot about off-road racing um but i'm not going to spend 60 grand on a can-am but i can get this car for 15 grand and you're in it and then all of a sudden we've got a, a family that's now competitors for life and they will be buying those Can-Ams. They will be buying those Pro Buggies. They will be buying bigger and better cars yeah. as they as they get hooked and fall in love with the sport. It's a great way to attract new people, well, I reckon. And it also gives them the option to stay where they are, enjoy it at yes. the cost that they can afford, yep. not get upset yep. or that the sport's running away from them. 
because yep. like unfortunately yep. and like i've been very unpopular with this opinion um i've been smashed on social media like i can't tell you how many times man i just get hammered like hail in the it's crazy but anyway <laughs> i get smashed on social media because yeah the sport costs money and it's going to get more expensive and i just don't yep. think that anybody should be putting their dream of racing above the the growth of the sport and that only comes from loving the sport like i know i'm never going to win the baja 1000 i can't afford it i can never afford it and yep. you know like there's no chance in heck it's just never going to happen and and it was my dream to race and try and win the baja when i was a kid i was going to do it mate you were not going to tell me otherwise but the yep. fact of the matter is the sports become commercialized it takes a million plus dollar truck to, to to win on a fair day now and the prep and the the team backing it and the the two hundred thousand dollar adventure down there like that's out of the reach of 99 percent of people and i think that yeah. i think that if we focus on state club level racing really really nurture grassroots those that can afford and those that want to put the money forward to go and chase these big races they, they can but it doesn't take away from what's happening down here that's feeding these big races. These big races are nothing without the, the grassroots. And I just think that in the last few years with all the different organisations and all the licence, I think a lot of it's gone missing, you know. I just I, I just do. I know it's healthy, but I just think the core, like, I, I don't know, I might be wrong. It's just, it's just the, the vibe I've been getting. And I think that mm. if we really focus on the, the grassroots, we'll have a win. Yep. Well, mate, I, I, like I think that. one of the things, one of the things as well that you talk about is we get more competitors. Like the fact of the matter is, like without being, I'll try and word this as best I, I can. Cost of living's gone up, so that means fuel costs more. The tomato steaks cost more. To get the signs made costs the club more. So, like old mate that comes and volunteers his time on the grader, you know, it's now costing him two thousand dollars rather than a thousand dollars, and uh, the clubs need to pay for that somehow. So that means if we only have 30 entries, you know, and, and we had 30 entries five years ago, and now that the prices of everything have gone up, we've still only got 30 entries. Well, that means that, that the competitors have to pay more. So if now the cost has doubled of putting that race on, but we've also doubled our competitor base, like the price is going to stay the same. In my opinion, like, this, like you said, this is only my opinion, but unless we are growing the competitor base, prices are going to go up. That's just basic economy because cost of fuel's gone up cost of everything's gone up you know like so the clubs have to pay for that somehow so unless we're getting more people into the races uh it's going to continue to cost us more money to race otherwise it's it, you know it, it's and i think it's a great idea you know to get more people there to grow these grassroots mm. races it, it's simple totally agree well i think that uh, what, what we need to do yeah, I oh know. We like it. Definitely like it a lot. And I think that uh, what we need is everyone that listens this far, they need to get in the comments and have a bit of a discussion, Mikey, and tell us what they reckon about ruling and about that sort of thing. But I totally agree. I think that the real key to growing our sport is, I know it's said all the time, but then we don't nurture it, do we? So we've got to make sure that there's opportunities for guys to race. And And like you said, the biggest key that I see out of what you're saying, Mike, is that it's going to be it's going to be dad's old race car from the 80s and and it gives it a new lease on life they don't even have to go and buy something to go racing they go hey dad remember when you were racing back in the 80s at the mallee rally and he's like 
oh yeah, I do. Fine, let's make this happen. Whereas, you know, again, like you said, going and finding 40, 50 grand these days isn't necessarily an option for a lot of people. Whereas, yeah, again, I, I, could, I love the side-by-side -side thing too as well uh, on a different track. But even in the fact that a lot of these little beam cars, you know, you can put them on a standard open tandem trailer and tie them beside, behind your Ford Ranger. You know, you got a trophy truck team and all of a sudden you've got the the, the Kenworth truck and the and the you know the double and everything like that like it just becomes bigger it's than cost, Ben Hur cost, cost cost everything and then all of a sudden you've got a team and you've got to put them in a motel at Gundawin like and I'm not knocking that I love seeing teams like Smoothie and all the big guys do that but it's just a, a, an interesting uh, take on it once you go that way isn't it yeah it's I think yeah. and this is what I mean man I think if we nurture like I said back to what I was saying if we nurture the the, I guess the start of it all, it'll it'll always be fruitful at the top, you know? Like there'll always be someone that can can be there, afford to be there and put on a good show. And Absolutely. I'm, I'm happy for that not to be me if it means that our sport's going on the television, man, for sure. Yeah, yeah for sure. Well, not the television anymore, but the, the computer screen or the yeah, phone. Or whatever, yeah, the, the internet's the new world. Yeah, yep, man. Absolutely, yeah. social media. Yep. Awesome. Hey, I just, hey I now just listen. Want to circle, oh. Hey, I'm sorry. I want to. I'm going to cut you off, DC. I just want to circle mm. back to something there, uh, Mikey. You're talking about the uh, the Baja 1000 and wanting to win it. I just thought I'd. Um, I just thought I'd throw that up there, and uh, so that was uh, 2017. Me and uh, me and BT went over. You'll see that's us holding a, a Baja overall trophy there. So I'm just going to remove that before anyone else can work out where that trophy came from. But yeah. Yeah, just thought I'd put that up there. One, one, one thing I know is it's not yours, mate. <laughs> That's, cool. That's real yeah. cool. So. Yeah. yeah, he obviously stole that from somewhere. No, very yeah. good. Hey, well, Mikey, on that note, we've had a fantastic hour with you and we've appreciated your time. I tell you what, we'll have to get you back on because we, we love talking shocks and we love talking technology. And, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that conversation. No question about the beam class because, again, it's something Josh and I, yeah, i got to be honest, I don't know why. I never thought of the beam car class. We were always very big. That class 10, it had an allure for me. You know, the fact that you could buy a single-seat 10 car or something like that, that was very interesting. But, mate, beam car class is absolutely one that I reckon would be skyrocketing. And, and I'd love it because, again, how good would it be to put, you know, I've got a son at 16 or, you know, he's 14, but coming up 16, like that's the sort of thing that he could really sink his teeth into, shifting a H pattern, still using yeah, a clutch, yeah, you know, combi, all that sort of stuff that's true driving skills. I, I think that's something. And, again, you'd pick up a little Hornet or, a, you know, there's a lot of little cars sitting around in, in old farmers' sheds and bits and pieces that I reckon that would be a brilliant way to get racing. Yeah, man, I think so. I think so. So I appreciate I like it. Yeah, I, I really do. I, I didn't know why he's want to talk to me. I oh, bloody I uh there's a lot more other people that'll probably be a bit more helpful on the show, but I appreciate you having me and um, well well we talked about it. Hey, it's it's your name's Mikey. So we're basically anyone with Michael, if you just want to apply to talk at dirt bags, uh you come on board because we've got a bit of a thing for Michaels apparently. Yeah, well mate, we're a friendly <laughs> bunch of lads. We're a friendly bunch of lads. <laughs> That's yeah, what I hear. Fantastic. Well, so again, just mate, a little just a little plug for you, Mike. So if people want to get in contact with you at Mike Shock Shop to find out how they can, because you guys sell, we'll just give a little plug for your business here, but you guys sell essentially shocks, all lots of different brands for lots of different vehicles. You guys do stuff for like 79s, 200s, Rangers, uh, obviously Can-Ams, Polaris's, side by, like all the side-by-sides, off-road race cars, 4.5s, you know, 7, 8 bypasses, 3.5, like whatever you guys need. 
what's a way they can get in contact with you guys to find out, um, you know, any information about shock absorbers that they want? Yeah, so look, if it's just for if you're chasing King Shocks and you you got a four wheel drive or something, just hit up the King Shocks Australia uh, website and that'll put you in touch with our dealer network. Uh, we've got dealers in every major city to look after, like the King Full Drive King Shocks Australia Full Drive side of things, uh, for service tuning, supply of anything kind of off road. Like if it's you know if it's being used on an off road car. We're trying. We're trying to work out if I should rebrand or not because it's kind of like Mike's off road now. You know, I sell impact helmets, fluid logic, mag locks, steel it yep. paint. Like it's it's yep. kind of grown into everything that I like. Mike's like if I if I like the product and it can get used on a race car, I, I kind of work out if it's viable in business. And so Mike's has kind of turned into a website of everything kind of off-road. But So if you're after that kind of stuff, Mike's, or if you're after a set of King Shocks, just through the King Dealer Network's the easiest way. Nice. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. No, right, too easy, good, mate. Bro. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, as per always. And uh, we'll see it. in oh, – what's the next race? Fink? You coming out to Fink? Yeah, I'll, I'll come. I'm going to come for a look. Um, uh, I've got a couple of teams. I said I'd, I'd help. I'm going to – I'm not going to be out there in the same capacity I have been in other years. I, yep. I've been helping guys, I think, every year since 2013. And then last year was we raced it. So I, I just decided this year we were going to lock in two or three teams, help them out, and um, I guess just enjoy ourselves a bit. Might do an extra awesome. night in the desert camping or something, oh. just have a little break. I reckon you'll turn a couple of tubes, Mikey. Oh, I think probably, <laughs> but I, I I think we'll – I think we'll um, – We'll turn the phones off after four o'clock every day for sure. Perfect, Perfect, mate. Enjoy it. Well, it'll be a good time. We'll catch up for a beer out there, mate. Yeah, definitely. Overdue. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks thanks for uh, coming on Dirtbags, mate. We appreciate it and uh, have a good night. And uh, we look forward to catching up with you out at